give you something to be praying about over the next couple of days, especially. Of course, you can pray about it for the rest of your life if you want to. But the next couple of days, you need to pray for Brother Ray. Uh, everybody knows, I think, Brother Ray and Sister Allison and Austin and Brandon are their children. You know them. But uh, they've been uh, slipping out of church a little bit, and he knowed it, and he knowed that he needed to get back in church. But he had a heart attack this past week, and uh, God really got his attention. He really wanted to be here this morning. He said, "He said, boy, God got a hold of me. And uh, he, that's out of his own mouth. And he said he wanted to be here this morning to thank God for not taking his life. And uh, But you, you know, uh, with having a heart attack and having those operations that they did, uh, that he wasn't able to be here this morning. But at any rate, uh, you know, oftentimes people, you know, really don't understand why I go to, why I don't go and spend a lot of time in the church congregation's home. And the reason that is, is I don't want to rule and manipulate your life from your home. God called me to preach, and, and I really do. Uh, my very best whether folks like it or not to preach what's right to be said but at your house that's where God's supposed to deal with you and and you're supposed to live and and you're supposed to have a relationship with God and so sometimes folks ask me why don't you go see them they've been out of church for two or three weeks I said well I want God to go see them I want God to go see them and I know for a fact that I could go and say now you need to get back I know I could go say those things but I really want God to deal with people's lives. And, and I could say something, but it might be the wrong thing. And I find it hard to find out exactly what the right thing is a lot of times. Sometimes you need compassion. Sometimes you need, the Bible says, some save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. The Bible says of some having compassion, making a difference. And I've always had the fear, boy, I want to be merciful. But then I might be merciful where God's not having mercy. Or I want to, you know, I might want to bring down judgment. Boy, you better get right where God might be having compassion. And boy, I just, I don't make enough good decisions in my own life uh, to make me proud enough to, know, to think that I can make good decisions for other people too. And so I could, so I could go to folks' houses and say, well, I, you know, you really need to be in church. I could say that. I could very well do that. But I feel like I do that right here. And I don't feel like if I went down to somebody's house and told them how they ought to be living, I don't feel like I'd be telling them anything that they didn't know if they'd been to church here a couple of times. Amen. And so I, I don't usually do that, but I let, try to let God do that. And a little bit lazy on part of it too, amen. I'll go ahead and admit it, a little bit lazy. But at, for the most part, I, I really do uh, like to let God do things. And, and some folks have said that they can't believe how many times God does deal with folks. And I believe God would do that for any pastor if he'd just let God, if he'd just preach God's word and let God deal with people. I believe that God would do more things. And I've had several people comment, God does things for you as far as dealing with people more than anybody I've ever seen. That has nothing to do with me. Uh, God just give me good enough sense to stay out of the way and let him work. And boy, God will work. Listen, some of you folks have been trying to get family members one to God for years and years and years. Maybe... What needs to be done is for you just, you've told them the truth. Now just step back and let God do something in their life. And take your hand off of it and say, to to God be the glory. And God have His will and way. And and then let God deal with it. Sometimes when people don't do what we want them to do, we get upset not because they're doing wrong, but because they're not doing what we want them to do. I've seen that time after time in preachers where they'll preach a message and the congregation doesn't follow 
And the next thing you know, they'll be right down at the folks' houses fussing at them because they ain't doing what they preached. Listen, that's not the way to do. Elijah never, never, uh, when God sent him down, that's one thing. But when God said for Elijah to turn off the water spigot, he just turned it off and went and sat on a hill somewhere. He didn't go down and say, now see, I told you he's going to turn off the water and I told you, you better. No, sir. God, Elijah only spoke when God said, thus saith the Lord. And so that's the way things ought to be done. When you've got folks that need to be saved in your family, witness to them. Tell them what needs to be told. But you don't have to tell them every day. Tell them and let God deal with them and then let them make a decision. They, they may very well decide not to do the right thing. But you can't take that personally. Amen. They're still your brother or they're still your aunt. They're still your loved one and God understands that. But tell them the truth and then let God deal with them about what He wants to deal with them about. And they may very well reject They may very well accept. They may reject for the next 20 years and then get saved. And you don't have to be silent for 20 years. That's not what I'm saying. But you just give God a little space to work. Amen. And then God will definitely work. And and I wouldn't wish a heart attack or, or a hardship or the loss of a child. I wouldn't wish that on nobody. You know, I've heard preachers say, well, I'll pray and God will do this. I, I'm not interested in seeing God judge folks. I'm interested in seeing God get folks right. And if you'll give God a little minute to work, He certainly will. If there's one thing you'll learn from the book of Matthew to the book of Revelation, God is long-suffering, and God has let people go a very long way. And God let some of you go a very long way. But then He was very merciful to you in how He reclaimed you, amen, redeemed you. And so... You ought to trust God that He's able to do with other folks exactly what He's done for you. And boy, because He's able. Amen? Amen. I better preach or I'm going to get stirred up right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's read in verse number 18. Uh, Over the next couple of days, you pray for Brother Ray. He's ready and willing to get back in church. Just give him some time to get healed up and pray that God will heal him and help him. Amen? I believe he really got saved when he come in here. So let's pray for him that God would do for him, all right? As a church family, that's our responsibility. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 18, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. What a difference that is from foolishness to the power of God. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? So, Brother Mike, what would be a good example of verse 19? A good example of that, he said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. What that means is, is God sometimes will take one of these great scientists like a Stephen Hawking or somebody like that. And if you ever hear, you can watch maybe a television program about Stephen Hawking. And he's that guy that's in the wheelchair and he's, you know, he can't hardly move. He's all crippled up in his body and he's crippled in his mind. And, and they got his brain wired up to a computer so that when he thinks, it, that computer will, will, will say what he's thinking. That, that's great device that man's come up with. But anytime you hear him talk, he's talking about stuff that's happening way out in the universe. And there was a great bang. And then there was all this... All this junk way out there in the universe. You see what God's done? He's taken a great wise man and all he can talk about is stuff that's happening 10 billion light years away from earth while we're living right here on this planet. Amen. You know what's happening 10 million light years from here? Who gives a rip? (laughs) Uh, Who cares what's going on out there? 
I don't care what's going on out there. I, I could care less what's going on. Oh, I wonder how many uh, planets there are out there. Who cares, man? I care about the one I'm living and breathing on right here. Amen. Do you know, if you think about it, and God didn't tell us nothing about this, so I'm going to say it's false. But if you think about it, God could be doing the very same thing on 10,000 planets out there that He's doing right here. He could be. I don't believe that He is, but it's a possibility that He could be. But I don't give a rip who they are or where they're at. I don't care nothing about getting in a spaceship and flying out there to see them. You say, why not? Because i got a wife and a couple of little kids that needs attention right here. And my neighborhood needs attention right here. So here's this great smart man that could be doing something with the intellect that God has given. And all he can think about is what's happened on the moon 10 billion years ago. You say, what is that? God deluding his mind. He ain't no earthly good. He ain't no earthly. You say, Brother Mike, he's a handicapped man. You ought not talk. Listen, he's the one that made the decision to live his life the way he did. And I feel sorry for him living in a wheelchair and all like that. But he spent his life out there in the universe somewhere thinking about junk that don't mean nothing to you and I that's just trying to figure out how to buy our next steak from food line and get our next paycheck and make sure our children's eating. God's taken the wise and their own the, the 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 wisdom of this world, and He said He made it nothing. For it is written, I, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Ten billion light years away. <laughs> Where is the scribe writing about stuff that don't mean nothing? Freud, you're probably angry because you hated your mother. <laughs> That's silly. That's exactly right. That's silly, man. Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world right beside the, 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 the God of this world, the devil? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Out of all the things that's going on, NASA and the Department of Defense and all the, the European Union and the, and the uh, what do they call that? Uh, the world, uh, the UN. Hey <laughs> man, you were thinking the same as me, but I couldn't. Uh, the UN and all that junk, all the stuff that men say is the most important things. The most important thing in the world is little buildings like this all over the planet this morning that are opening the Bibles and talking about the goodness of God. The Bible said he, he made foolishness, the wisdom of this world. He said, for after the, uh, that in the wisdom of God, The world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Somebody that's out there trying to solve the problems in Somalia or solve the problems in Afghanistan, they think they got the most important job in the world. But the most important job in the world is handled by Christians like you and I that's got Jesus in our heart. We understand what God did for us on the cross of Calvary. We got the most important position in the whole world. The light of the world. He didn't say that about the, the EU or the European Union or, or, the, or the, what was that again, United Nations. He didn't say, the United Nations, the light of the world, they're going to lead us to peace. No, that's not them. Hey, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Hey, the only peace that's going to come is through the gospel. The gospel comes through the church. we got a great calling here this morning. Amen. So he says at verse 22, he says, For the Jew requires a sign, the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. 
unto the Jews a stumbling block. They just don't understand. After God gave the law, why he would come and die like that, they don't understand that. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. The Greek trying to figure out uh, the next great thing or the next great philosophy. They trying to write the next great book, uh, all that stuff. They trying to figure out all this great scientific stuff, uh, but they don't understand that the great greatest thing in the world is just a man standing up or a woman standing up and declaring to her brother and sisters about the goodness of God <laughs> coming to save poor sinners like us. That's foolishness to them. But unto them which are called, that's you and I, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. NASA trying to get to the moon, trying to get to Mars. And they don't understand that just putting faith in Christ will take you far past the moon and the stars. You want to go to Mars? How about going to heaven? (laughs) Amen. They're trying to piddle around and figure out how to land a rover on Mars. And the Lord got our flight booked. He's all got it all planned out. We'll be ready to go. Amen. Well, let's look back up here in verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your goodness this morning. Thank you for the good spirit that's lasted over from the revival. And I pray God would stay here a long time. Meet with us and be with us. God, I, I pray that you'd open up our hearts, Lord, to give you thanks. Lord, I pray you'd open up our hearts to be a better witness than we have been in the past. Lord, open up my heart to be a better preacher than I have been in the past. And I'll thank you, dear God, for all that you do. Help us to win uh, lost souls for you. And Lord, if we do that, it'll have to be done through what we're going to talk about this morning, the preaching of the gospel. God, open our hearts and minds to it. And I'll thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let's just look at a couple of verses here. First of all, verse number 18, he said, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And I've heard it said before by folks, you tell them about the gospel, you tell them about Jesus Christ. He came and died for our sins in our place uh, to redeem us from the curse of the law, to redeem us from death, to redeem us from hell. And they'll say, that's foolish. God come and killed himself. God came. I heard one man, he said, you think God came and tortured himself. And then he said, you tell people it's wrong to commit suicide. But God tortured himself. God effectively committed suicide. I said, boy, you got a warped mentality. There's a whole lot of difference in, in, uh, in, in committing suicide and laying down your life for your friends. There's been, listen, we, Brother Louis uh, gave me that thing a while ago and I certainly do appreciate that. But there's been a corpsman that died on the battlefield trying to get to a, a soldier in order to bandage him up. He gave his life. He didn't commit suicide. Uh, there's been Marines and other soldiers in the foxhole where a, a, a hand grenade will fall in the, in the pit there with them, in the fighting hole with them. Army calls it a foxhole. We call it a fighting hole. Uh, the uh, grenade land in there and a buddy throw his friend out and dive down there on top of that grenade and let that grenade blow up on him instead of killing his buddy. That man didn't commit suicide. He laid down his life for his friends. You got the military and they go out, they join, they defend the country or they go out and attack other countries and they do that because you don't have to do that. Amen. That What are they doing? They're laying down their life for you. Amen. I'd rather fight them uh, terrorists over there than over here. Amen. Is they invading other countries? Absolutely. So this one don't get invaded. Amen. They invading those places so they don't get over here. Amen. And if they get over here, that's a bad thing. But what I got to say is those people are giving their life. They're not committing suicide. 
Joining the army is not committing suicide. Throwing yourself on a grenade so your buddy can go home to his wife and children, that's not suicide. And what Jesus Christ done, that's blasphemy to say he came and committed suicide. He didn't do that. He came and he gave his life because there was a great weight of sin hanging over your head. And the wages of sin is death. So Christ took that so you could live. Amen. So you can live. That's a great act of responsibility. That's a great act of grace. That's a great act of mercy. And But folks say that's foolishness. And the reason that they say that's foolishness is because they wouldn't do it for nobody. They don't, they don't perceive the, the grace that's involved. They don't perceive the sacrifice that's involved in that. And they'll never understand the love of God. They'll never understand the power of God until they realize that it comes through self-sacrifice. The power of God, that's where it comes from. See what he says in verse 18? He said, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And that's why a lot of churches today don't have power. The reason that they don't have power is it's everything in the church is about, well, I need entertainment. I need encouragement. I need uplifting. I need... And it, listen, if you need uplifting, boy, we want you to get uplifted. If you need encouragement, we want you to get encouragement. But what I want you to get away from is the mentality where I've got to have, I've got to have, I've got to have. When you can get to the place where you're willing to sacrifice, well, Lord, I'll be uncomfortable if it'll mean brother so-and-so will be comfortable. Or, Lord, I'll be uncomfortable if it means that souls will be saved for you and souls will get uh, delivered from hell. Then I'll, I'll be willing to give up my comfort. I'll be willing to give up my encouragement. I'll be willing to give up something. So that's where the power of God comes in. Christ could have been comfortable. Christ could have been in a place of stability, in a place of power, in a place of authority, but Christ laid all that aside. And in a sense, got out of his comfort zone. But listen, he was very comfortable because he was in God's will. But what I'm saying in regards to you and I, if we were to leave our place of stability, we'd be out of our comfort zone. If we were to leave our place of authority, we'd be out of our comfort zone. If we were to leave our place of comfort, if we were to leave our place of provision, we'd be out of our comfort zone. But God left all of that and come down and walked as a man and died as a man and died for our sins. He, he was very humble and he, and he was very self-sacrificing. But the world says that's foolishness. Because they don't have that same attitude. All It's all about me. I've got to be comforted. Comfort me, comfort me, comfort me, comfort me, comfort me, comfort me. And that's, that's the main testimony of the day. Well, I was in bad shape and God helped me. And don't, don't get me wrong. I'm glad that folks testify when God does stuff like that. But the testimony of the Bible is, the testimony of the, the prophets of old is, the testimony of the saints of God in the Word of God is, is that God done such and such for so and so and he did it through me and Paul said that if we could condense the testimony of Paul he said the testimony of Paul is this in the New Testament is that I went through great discomfort so that God could give you the truth and Paul said I was in the he said I was shipwrecked he said I was in the deep a night and a day he said I received uh, 40 stripes save one several times he said I was stoned at Lystra he said uh, they run me out of town uh, at Damascus all this stuff but he said I went through all this stuff uh, you might get the gospel and you might have the truth and you might know the truth and he wouldn't he said I did pray and ask God to comfort me and take this thorn of the flesh away but God said no and God said, my grace would be sufficient for you. And so Paul's testimony was, well, God comforted me. And every time I was, no, God didn't comfort him every time he was in hardship. God, this is one thing you've got to realize about God. God was very willing to let Job sit in the ash heap 
as long as it took to teach his friends a lesson and to teach the devil a lesson. You know who instigated that whole thing? God didn't say, well, I'm going to try Job. The devil comes and said, hey, try him. And so the Lord said, I'm going to prove something to you, Mr. Devil. And he let Job go through all that hardship. Let all of his children die to prove a point to, to the devil. That's not the God you hear about on the daily television programs on TV, is it? God will let us go through some things. God, be merciful. I'm not trying to call down God's uh, judgments or God's trials on us. I don't want to go through nothing. But I do know this. When God does put us through some things, He's going to do it for somebody else's benefit and for somebody else's comfort. And so when you're willing to say, God, I'll go through what you want me to go through, that's self-sacrifice and that's where the power of God comes in. If all you're interested in is your own comfort, then you're not going to see much of the power of God. God may very well comfort you. God may very well look at you and say, well, he can't go through it. I know he's looked at me many a time and said, he can't go through it. I know a lot of the blessings in my life that God's given me, a lot of the things that God has, has kept me from, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I do deserve those hardships, but God sees my weakness and my lack of character, and God hadn't let me go through some things. I heard another preacher one time say, Oh God, I'm spoiled. Said God, let me go through. God, giving me a break from all these hard things. And I said in my mind, you're just like me. We don't. I, I said, preacher, you and me, we ain't got the character to go through some of those things. And that's just the way it is. Sometimes I know that I know that's not a blanket statement that you can make about everybody. But I know this: when when God puts you through some things, uh, ask number one for His will to be done. Then ask number two that God give you the comfort. Paul didn't have no problem asking God, would you comfort me in this? I'm not saying don't never look for comfort. I'm just trying to say look for, instead of looking for your own comfort, look for the comfort of others. Instead of looking for your own benefit, look for the benefit of others. And you say, what is that? That's the law of Christ. Christ came down here for our benefit, not for his own. For our comfort, not for his own. For our deliverance, not for his own. Christ didn't need deliverance. He's the God of the universe. At any moment, he could have said, well, all of you people on earth, be gone. And that would have been the end of the story. Sin would have been eradicated in one moment. Just gather up all sinful men and the sinful devil and his angels and say, be gone. And that would have taken care of the sin problem right there. But God went the extra mile. You know why God said, God said for you, if a man says walk a mile with me, you're to walk two miles with him. The reason he told you that is because man needed God to walk an extra mile with him and God walked ten extra miles with us. God went a long ways for us. You have to admit that. If you're honest with yourself, you have to admit that. God's been, God, hadn't God went further with some of you than you deserve for him to go? I don't know if I said that exactly right, but it sounded right in my head anyway. He said, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Maybe you are going through some hardship, but the, the lesson of Christ is, is that you put yourself, you go further than you think you can go. And go further than maybe you think you should have to go for the benefit of others. The power of God will be showed up in your life. Then looking down in verse number 21, it says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The wisdom of the world makes themselves their own God. I've got to have money. I've got to have comfort. I mean, I've, got, I've done all this work and all this labor. I deserve something for my labor. Have you ever heard somebody say that when they're going through hardship? They say, I don't deserve this. Now, I, I, listen. How many of you 
have either said that yourself or been so, uh, talking to somebody who's going through something and had them say that to you. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I'd like to have seen more hands out of that. That would have been more honest. But I know I've heard that a million times. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I, don't, I, I've, I mean, I've heard it in some cases. It might be true. some cases it might be true. I've heard ladies that are being mistreated by their husband, maybe beat or abused in some way. They say, I don't deserve this. And she don't deserve that. She don't deserve that. But you know, I've seen ladies go through stuff like that and endure it for the glory of God. And later on down the road, that man be saved and go to heaven because of it. Boy, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. You say, that's a terrible thing that she'd be abused. Yeah, I know it is. And if she had told me and I'd have known about it, I'd have come help her out. Amen. amen. I believe in that kind of help. Amen. I don't believe in calling 911. I believe in calling the neighbor. You call 911, he'll go to jail. Maybe that's what he deserved. Call a couple of good neighbors, he'll get right. Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. I'm not saying how, but it's just you think about it in your own mind and see. Amen. But listen, I, listen. It's not. It's not right that a woman would have to go through that. But many a woman in this country has went through the hardships of a hard-headed husband, abusive husband, but gave God the glory and had patience in it and waited and done the right thing. And boy, God come through and saved in the end. And he said, well, what if, what if it doesn't happen like that? Well, then God's going to give her great reward. Because it wasn't about self-preservation. It was about self-sacrifice. Maybe it was for the case of her husband. Maybe it was for the case of her children. Maybe it was for the case of somebody else. But who knows why a woman puts up with stuff. You ever, you ever, you ever seen somebody going through something like that? And somebody in the neighborhood say, well, I don't understand why she stays with him. She ought to just leave him. And, and I'm a, if, if, a, if an abused woman come to me and said, hey, I'm being abused, what would you recommend me to do? I might just recommend that she leave him. But if I'm looking at somebody who's enduring hardship, well, I'm not going to interfere with that. But, and I'm not going to say how stupid she is. Because do you know how hard it is to put up with hardship and stick with it? Whether it's smart or not smart, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's been some women that's put up with more hardship in one day of a marriage than some men's put up with in their lifetime. That's just the way it is. And one of these days, God might take that woman that put up with that and say, look what this woman went through all of her life. And you couldn't even tell somebody about Jesus on a Monday morning at work. Oh, that's hard. They might. I, I, I kind of was, well, it's hard, isn't it? We get in these situations where God wants us to do a thing. We're unwilling to go through the hardship. I passed a truck on the highway yesterday. At one time going north, I seen him sitting there, a man sitting there with his hood up, tractor and trailer driver. I said, maybe I ought to stop and witness to him. I said, no, he, he probably just sitting there minding his own business. He's probably worried about his truck. and I, He'll be all right. On my way back down south on the highway, that same truck was sitting there. And the Lord said, man, you can stop in there and witness to him. And I said, yeah, I could. Boy, I should stop in there and witness to him. And then as I got right next to him, I said, well, that man, he's been sitting there a long time. And he's probably upset. He's probably try- on the phone trying to get somebody out here. To- and I just talked myself out of it and went right down the road. I wasn't making it easier on him. I was making it easier on me. But the bad thing about it is I had to wake up with the conscience this morning. It ain't, it ain't easier on me. Sometimes the easiest thing is just to go through the hardship, get it over with. And ain't it bad that we think that witnessing to somebody is a hardship? But it, it puts the flesh in check. It puts the flesh in a position where it has to uh, put itself out of its comfort zone. Our comfort zone. I, I don't mind talking to me all day. 
Drive down the road, talk to me. Go out, sit in the hunting stand, talk to me. Go out and fish and talk to me. Sit in my bedroom and talk to me. Don't tell me none of y'all do that. That's easy, ain't it? Just sit and discuss things with myself. I always agree with myself. Yeah. Well, ain't no have no fuss about it. I say to myself, self, it's like this. And myself says, you're right about that, boy. That's good preaching right there. It's only when I talk to others that folks disagree with me. I don't know why that is. I don't know if I'm wrong or they are. But if we're talking about the gospel, I'm right. Amen? Amen. Well, listen, what I'm saying is, is that Christ put himself out of his natural condition, which is to rule and reign over everything. And he made himself like a man and walked like a man. And what he done was humble himself. And at verse 21 said, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so uh, he said the wisdom of God is greater than the wisdom of this world. God chose humility. Well, let me say it this way. The wisdom of this world makes gods out of our own self. Look how much I've done. Look how good I am. Look how much I've accomplished. So when God saw that man had it in his own mind to make himself a God, God chose the thing that's most unlikely in a man, and that's humility. And he gave us his own... Look in Philippians chapter 2, if you will, right quick, and then we'll come right back to here so you can keep your place. But Philippians chapter 2... Verse number 5, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let me explain to you what that means. That means if you and I had a problem, what we would do if we were a nation, we would put our army on the war path. If, if we were an individual man, and somebody was invading our house and stealing our chickens and stealing our eggs, we would walk right over and say, now I'm going to take care of this problem right now. I'm going to punch you in your nose and you ain't never going to steal another one of my chickens. That's just a natural way. We have a position of authority. We have a position of power. Whether we're a man or whether we're a nation or whether we're a league of nations, whatever we are, we solve the problems by our physical strength. I have the ability to solve it. Therefore, I'm going to solve it. If you don't like it, we'll run over you. Ain't that right? Hey, that's my wife. You're fishing to get a punch in the nose. Well, listen, God could have said, that's my world. You're about to get a punch in the nose. God could have said, that's my law, you're transgressing. You're about to get a punch in the nose. And God did the most unusual thing. Instead of saying, I've got the power to overcome you, and I'm going to overcome you, what he said was, I'm going to make myself like a servant. And he came and served us. He healed our diseases. I'm not talking about spiritually. I'm talking about he physically came down here, healed our diseases, run the devils off, took care of every need. If they was hungry, he fed them and had some left over. See, he didn't just ball up his muscles and solve the problem that way. He did the thing that was most unlikely in every man on earth. He humbled himself. And then he gave himself on a cross. He chose humility. Instead of choosing a position of strength, he chose humility and it ended up coming out stronger than any strength he could think of. He said, it's the power of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ... For it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? 
So God, you, sometimes you think, well, I can solve the problem in just one second. Little <laughs> 22 round, 9 millimeter round, 370, take care of the problem right away. Well, you might take care of it better by humbling yourself and praying. I can take care of this with my one right arm. You might take care of it better by humbling yourself and praying. You say, why? God did. God did. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God chose humility. Christ humbled himself and became like a servant, like a man. The Bible says he was numbered with the transgressors. So man has to be humbled in a true estimation of himself. Say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. My belief is not in me, but it's in Christ. I don't have very much confidence in myself. I'm not even looking to gain self-confidence or self-esteem. Oh, John the Baptist said he must increase, but I must decrease. The best state of mind you can be in is to think little of yourself and much of God. And you don't want to go to the extreme of that because if you're saved by the grace of God, you're not just a sinner, but you're more than conquerors. Amen. We'll talk about that in a little bit more in just a little bit. But I don't believe in myself. I believe in Christ. I believe I'm a sinner. Uh, somebody might say, what can you achieve? You say that to Mr. Ford. and He said, well, I build a car. I build the first uh, construction line in a U.S. factory. I, I can do all these. I can make it very easy. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, Mr. Carmaker is a sinner. We talked about that in Sunday school. God's given us a great mind to be able to figure out a lot of things. Uh, what can you achieve? I can build a car. You're a sinner. Uh, somebody might say, what can you achieve? And say, well, I can build a skyscraper. Instead of taking 40 businesses and taking up 40 acres, I can stack those on top of one another and build them up to the sky and build 40 businesses on one acre. That's pretty smart. That's pretty smart. And I figured all this out all by myself. Figured out how to make the concrete and put the steel bars in and make it very strong so that it'll stand there. Look how great I am. God said, you're just a sinner. Just a sinner. Just a sinner. Said, uh, what can you achieve? And the man said, well, I cured polio. I put the germ in the beaker and, and introduced it to this uh, to this uh, uh, vaccine or to this medicine and, and eventually I cured polio or I cured cancer or I cured HIV at the end of the day you're just a sinner uh, what, what can you achieve I built a little space rover and put it on a rocket and shot it up into space and it landed out there on Mars and crawled around and looked at all the pretty rocks For about $10 billion less dollars, they could have shot that rocket over to Afghanistan and you'd seen the very same, the very, the very same, <laughs> the very same pictures. Amen. If you don't believe it, look it up. You look at a picture of Mars, just little bitty rocks all over the place, just rocks and sand. Half Afghanistan looks just like that. I was watching them fellas on the, on the TV the other day, them soldiers marching through the desert, and I said, I forgot about the soldiers for a second and all that was going on. I said, that looks exactly like what that little rover on Mars was looking. I said, I bet they didn't even send that thing to Mars. I bet they did send it to Afghanistan. I wouldn't put it past them, would you? If they lie about global warming, they'll lie about everything else. Man, I believe that. But at any rate, I put a little space rover on a little rocket and shot it up into space. God said, you're still a sinner. That's all you are. As much as you can, listen, if you can build the best mousetrap on earth, you're still a sinner. Your achievements don't make you any more powerful with God or any closer to God. I made a space rover. Well, still a sinner. So I believe Christ is the Savior. I'm the sinner and Christ is the Savior. That way he gets the glory. 
He gets done. He made the sacrifice. Why shouldn't he get the glory? You take those two soldiers I was talking about a while ago, and you take one, he jumps on the grenade and saves the other one's life. The one comes home to his wife and children. Sure, he deserves credit because he went. Pin a medal on his chest and give him a welcome home parade. But the most glory ought to go to that one that jumped on the grenade. Amen. And the guy, if he was honest, the guy that's now at home with his wife and his children, he ought to go to the funeral of that man that gave his life and stand there and just sing his praise. Oh, he was a great man. Oh, look what he done for me. I'm alive today because of his sacrifice. Why can't Christians do that? I mean, Christ ain't got no tomb to go to. Christ ain't got no place where you can go and say, here's the bones of the man that died for me, but we could go to an altar or we could go to our bedroom and say, hey, there ain't no grave for the man that died for me because the man that died for me was able to take his life up again. But he did die for me and I'm alive today because he sacrificed for me. Jumped up. Listen, the grenade was death. The grenade was sin. He jumped on it and took it upon himself in my place. Took it, took it upon himself in my place. So as far as I'm concerned, no matter what I achieve, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. After Paul was saved, Paul said, I am. He didn't say I was. He said, I am the chief of sinners. Right, amen. And listen, so I'm, I'll stand with Paul. If Christ numbered himself with the transgressors, I'll stand myself with the transgressors and say, I'm only here because of the grace of Christ. I'm only here because of the power of God. These ladies sang about it just a few minutes ago. I believe, was, I believe God was wise enough. I believe God was graceful enough. I believe God was responsible enough uh, to get me out of the situation I was in. And he did. All I did was go along for the ride. Oh, you give yourself for me? You'll take me if I'll ask you? You'll save me if I'll put my trust in you? I'll take it. My old preacher said when he got saved, he said he, heard, he went into that revival meeting and he heard the preacher preach about how God would give you salvation for free just because of what Christ done on the cross. He said at that time I owned a pool hall. He said, I owned a, a grocery store. And he said, I owned a, a business where people come, a storage unit. We call them storage units now. But, but he owned a place where people could come and store their goods up. And he said, I'd been through all kinds of business in my life. I'd been poor. And I worked myself out of poverty. And I had all this money and all these things. And that was the very best deal I'd ever heard in my life. He said, I knew business. I said, I've been through all kinds of business transactions. But when I heard that God would give me everything for nothing... Just for putting faith in his son, best deal I ever heard. Said I went down, got on my knees, and said, next thing I know, I felt something down beside me. And I looked, and it was my wife. I said, what are you doing? She said, if you're getting saved, I'm a getting saved too. Amen. Amen. That's the thing about it. You get good and saved, folks start getting saved around you. You say, why? They won't help but hear. Because they'll be hearing you say, God did this for me. God did this for me. You don't have to listen. You don't have to memorize your Bible from Genesis to Exodus. I mean Genesis to Revelation. All you got to do is memorize what God did for you and say, hey, this is what God done for me. And some, some smart aleck say, well, explain this. That's the way the world. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, explain to me how Noah got all them animals in the ark. I said, that's simple. He built it big enough. <laughs> Give a smart aleck a smart aleck answer. Amen. Well, when people come out and say, well, explain this, big boy. You say, well, I can't explain that, but I know this. I was lost, but now I'm found. 
I can't explain maybe what your question is, but I can tell you this. I was in the depths of sin and going down further every day, and Jesus come along and picked me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings and put a new song in my heart. I, what more could I tell you? What more? And if they don't believe that, they're not going to believe anything. Amen. They're not going to believe that. Listen, oh, oh, uh, oh, uh, Lazarus uh, and the rich man, when they died, the rich man went to hell. And the rich man said, hey, send somebody to tell my brethren so they don't come to this place. And, and Abraham said, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe if one rose from the dead. Everybody looking for something fantastic so they can believe in God. All you need is the law and the prophets. They testified of Christ. If you don't believe that testimony. Hey, and I'll give you this. It may not be a book of the Bible. But when a man comes along to your house and says what God's done for him. That's as good as the law and the prophets telling the truth about Jesus. The Bible says you are the epistle of Christ. Written without ink. Without paper. It's written on your heart and in your life. You stand up in a place and say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. That's just as good as the prophet Elijah. Standing on the hilltop saying, Thus saith the Lord. Just as powerful. Just as strong. You say, why? It's got the power of God behind it. It's got the ordination of God. God said to His disciples, that's you and I, go into all the world. You've got the stamp of authority from God to go out and tell what God's done for you. And it's powerful. And it's real. And it'll work. You may not be the wisest, You may not be the most accomplished. You may not be the greatest financial wizard. You may not have a lot of things figured out in this world. But if you'll make him the most and you the least and give place to the gospel in your life, God will give you some souls for your labor. Not only that, but God will keep you in your own heart and mind. When temptations come, he'll help you get through those temptations and those trials. He'll help you get through those things. Would you stand this morning, Nathan? Would you come and listen?